Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, uh, the weekly show that takes a close look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call. That's, that's still okay sometimes, right? Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com and the Twitter and the Instagram and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash how, how good it is pod. Well, of course, this show just would not be complete if I didn't have some trivia for ye, so here ye go. There are a bunch of stories out there about the Ed Sullivan Show and its relationship with rock music. You might recall I spoke with uh, Chris McKittrick just a couple of weeks ago about the Rolling Stones and Let's Spend the Night Together and Buddy Holly, and most people know about The Doors refusing to change a lyric for the show's sake. Now, British Invasion Act Peter and Gordon's first hit in the United States was A World Without Love, but... When they came to America to perform on the Ed Sullivan Show, they were asked to sing a different song instead. So instead of A World Without Love, the gigantic hit they had, which was written by Paul McCartney, they sang another one of their singles, which coincidentally was also written by Paul McCartney, called I Don't Want to See You Anymore. That was their Ed Sullivan debut. So here's the question. Why did the Sullivan producers object to Peter and Gordon singing A World Without Love? Believe it or not, I'll have the answer for you near the end of the show. Before I forget, let me give a little shout out to listener Peter Hall, who suggested this week's song. And you can make requests, too, through the website or the social media. So pay attention at the end of the show so you know where to find me. Would you believe it if I told you that the Hollies never had a number one hit in the United States? They came close a couple of times and Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress was one of those occasions. In fact, I'd venture to say that Long Cool Woman may be second only to Louie Louie in popularity among songs whose words you can't understand. And each record has its own reason for that unintelligibility, but we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. So one of the things that you might have noticed that's different about Long Cool Woman and is, is that it's probably the only Hollies hit that doesn't have those amazing harmonies in it. In fact, throughout the song, all we hear is Alan Clark singing. Well, turns out there's a reason for that. You see, Alan Clark wrote the song along with Roger Cook and Roger Greenaway, and if you recognize those names, well, then you know Cook and Greenaway were the guys behind I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Anyway... Those two got together with Clark as a potential single for a solo album that Clark was planning. But when the band got wind of the solo project, well, they told him he could do the solo album, but he'd have to leave the Hollies in order to do it. It was an all-or-nothing proposition for them. According to an interview he did with Rolling Stone magazine in 1973, Clark was quoted as saying, I think with me, the band feared that if I got a hit, I'd leave. How can you stop Destiny? Now, if they originally agreed, I might not even have left. Long Cool Woman would have been released a year earlier, and we'd have done a few tours of the States and maybe would have been really big. What happened instead was that he stayed with the group and they cut the song. They put it on the album Distant Light, and then Clark left the group. The Hollies found a replacement singer, and about a year after the album came out, they finally released Long Cool Woman as a single. When it became a hit, Clark had a change of heart, and he rejoined the group. But during that year, though, the band had put together another album with their new single uh, singer, Michael Rickfors. That album was called Romany, and while it sold well early on, eh, most of the airplay was limited to FM album-oriented stations, and there were no charting singles from it. All right, so let's get to those lyrics. 
I'm pretty sure that everybody knows the opening two lines. Saturday night I was downtown working for the FBI. And the rest of us, right? And you know the parts where the title comes in. But other than that, admit it. You don't know many more of the words. I know I didn't. So I went to look them up because the internet is cool that way. It's a beautiful thing. And I have to admit that I was a little surprised because I thought we were getting a little bit of a modern-day spy story. What with the FBI and the mysterious woman and the James Bond-like guitar line that opens up the song. But when I saw the lyrics, I realized this is more of a 1930s Prohibition-era storyline. Our narrator is in a speakeasy, and he's about to blow the whistle when he hears the woman singing. Now, there's a line here that can be taken two ways that goes, A pair of 45s made me open my eyes. But I'm pretty sure he's not talking about guns, since the very next thing, he's appraising the woman. A long, cool woman in a black dress, just a 5'9", beautiful, tall. Moments later, he hears a siren and everybody scatters. But the next thing you know, he's being congratulated by the district attorney and this femme fatale is standing right next to him. So it's possible... It's possible that she was also in on the bust. You should excuse the expression, and he didn't know about it. Or perhaps she wasn't, but in the end, she was just the entertainment who happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and she's just likely to not be arrested. Even as a Holly song, it's a definite change of sound for the band, partly because of the lack of backups, but also because they decided to give it a little bit of a swamp rock feel. Think about Creedence Clearwater's revival's Green River, which came out around the same time they were working on this record. In fact, you know what? Have a have a listen to this little bit of Green River. There's definitely a CCR influence going on there. I, th- I think that Clark is even imitating John Fogarty a little bit. The other thing is that the band's usual producer, Ron Richards, was out sick the day they recorded, so the band themselves, they did the producing. Richards did the mixing when he returned to work, but the big thing that really contributed to the sound was all that slapback echo on the vocals. Roger Cook said in an interview with the Tennessean that Alan Clark really liked all that echo on his voice. In the same interview, he noted that the three of them were pretty drunk themselves when they decided they wanted to write a song about Prohibition, and by all accounts, the song came together pretty quickly. Oh, and I wanted to call your attention to Bernie Calvert's bass line for this record, because it's one of those bits that supports the song overall, but in the chorus, it also just pulls you along in this really cool way, just by way of the descending notes. It's not flashy, but it sounds great, and therefore I would call the bass the sneaky MVP of this record. So as I mentioned earlier, this was not a number one hit for the Hollies because that group never had one, Uh, at least not in the United States. It was one of two songs to reach number two, and it's considered their biggest single. It spent two weeks in the number two slot behind Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again Naturally, and it's got to be notable on its own that the top two songs that week both had part of the title in parentheses. And for what it's worth, the week before, the week of August 28, 1972, The top three songs were Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, then Alone Again Naturally, then Lone Cool Woman in a Black Dress, which was about to move up. But that means that all three of the top records that week 
on the Hot 100 had parentheses in the title. I don't know if that's a record or anything, but stuff like that catches my eye sometimes. The song did go to number one in Canada and South Africa. But oddly enough, it didn't do very well in the UK. It peaked at number 32. Typically, their songs did better over there than they did on this side of the pond, but not in this case. As far as covers of the record go, there were a few. This was a pretty good one by country artist Clint Black. Went to number 58 on the country chart. And then there's this fun version from 1995. version by uh, Rockapella appeared on their sixth album, and it was their North American debut album, and it's also where you can find them singing the theme to the TV show, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two. I noted that Peter and Gordon were asked not to sing A World Without Love when they made their debut on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, so they sang I Don't Want to See You Again instead. Anymore, rather. I'm sorry. I Don't Want to See You Anymore. What was the producer's objection to their singing that gigantic hit? Well, as it turns out, someone else had already sung that song on the show just a couple of weeks earlier. Bobby Rydell had recorded his own version of A World Without Love and released it just a couple of months after the Peter and Gordon version came out. Both versions climbed the chart, with Peter and Gordon being more of a national hit. Rydell's version did very well in specific pockets of the country, especially his native Philadelphia. Rydell was pretty much a regular on The Ed Sullivan Show when he went on the show in late October of 1964. Naturally, he sang his latest hit. When Peter and Gordon got to the show just a couple of weeks later, they were asked to sing something else because while the kids would be tuning in specifically to see them, regular watchers of the show would remember that that same song had just been sung a couple of weeks earlier, so they were asked to sing something else instead. See? It's not always for prudish reasons. 
Not always. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you are enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, well, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we go under the covers yet again. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Next time.